Good afternoon, good evening, and welcome back to the Uptime Punks. It's another really great episode. So, um, what has happened? What's new? Um, well, um, look at the news. Half the world is going back into lockdown. Um, looking at our lives, back in the office, um, stopped our isolation. Um, looking at the weather, dark and miserable. <laughs> but looking at the podcast you're about to hear, Oh, we're going to beautiful Spain. Yes. Uh, Tim. Um, Sunny Alicante it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, for us, it was like, what we're basically trying to do is we want to show all aspects of the industry. And we gave you guys a lot about big data, AI, cloud, data centers. But then there's also something out there. It's called blockchain. And then I said, okay, um, let's look blockchain. Who would be, who, who be somebody I would want to speak to? And then, of course, you have your typical um, five people that when you type blockchain, that come up. But then we said, wow. And then we found a lady, which is um, always lovely to have a lady on the podcast. Um, and she is um, somebody that's not just an expert in the industry, but also um, runs the largest gathering of uh, blockchain professionals. In Europe. In Europe. Um, which is in Copenhagen and in Barcelona. Yes. Ba no, no, you say Barcelona. Barcelona. Yeah, I don't Barcelona. know. I, I have no idea. Yeah. But um, yeah, it is the European Blockchain Convention and uh, the lady is Victoria Gago. Yeah. And um, yeah, she's, she's, she's like an industry colleague of ours, um, an events organizer, uh, ex-financial analyst, if I got that right. I think the cool thing is that she's the biggest difference between her and us, Tim, let's be honest here. She studied it and then she became an expert. She, in it. Yes. Yes. Okay. And yeah. And, and she, she, she was working for uh, investment um, banks and uh, she understands. She, she understands the essence of it. She understands the essence of it. And uh, yeah, it was nice talking to her about use cases of blockchain. What it is. Uh, don't give too much away. Anyways, um, <laughs> you guys enjoy the blog, the podcast, the podcast. <laughs> Okay, a wonderful good afternoon, uh, good evening, wherever you're in the world, and welcome to the Uptown Punks. It's another exciting episode. Um, we have a lovely lady with us today, uh, all the way from Spain. Hi, Victoria, how are you? Hello, Paul and Tim. I'm very well. I'm excited to be here with you today. Thank you very much for the invitation. So we thought um, data centers and cloud is getting a bit boring. Um, what's the hype of blockchain all about? And then we started researching a little bit. And then we said, okay, um, there's a lady out there who not just knows everything about blockchain, but also she runs the European Blockchain Convention, uh, which is basically a key event where a lot of blockchain speakers from the industry come together and discuss all the topics, if it's crypto and, well, I, that's as much as it goes when it comes to blockchain is my Bitcoin maybe. And then uh, I think that's where it stops. But um, yeah, welcome, Victoria. It's, it's lovely to have you here. Um, so... Of course, the way we always started is we ask a couple of questions to get you a little bit warmed up before we get into the topics. So um, what the listeners always want to know, what was your first experience with a computer? Where did you first like get in touch with the digital world? Yes. If you can remember. Yeah, I remember. So I think it was around, I would say, 1996, 1997. 
more or less. Uh, well, on, on, on one side, my mom bought a computer, you know, one of those big boxes. I think maybe the brand was Dell. I'm not sure. Could be IBM. You know, one of those brands uh, yeah. in the 90s. And, and I remember the first use, uh, well, I mean, I guess as everybody, it was playing. So my mom bought one of those diskettes uh, with, with the game, and then I was playing a stupid game. I think I was walking around a house, and then I had to, like, catch some, some points around the house. Well, it's maybe like shoplifter, like we heard last week, where we're flying a helicopter trying to steal things from a house. But yeah, go yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> very, very basic game, uh, but super fun, I remember. And I think later on, I started to chatting. I think that was huge, you know, in, in the 90s, you know, chatting with people, you know, you didn't know. That was, that was yeah. huge. I think this is something I did a lot. I was chatting to a lot of people. Um, but yeah, so that was a bit like, I think my, my first experience, this, this simple game at home. And then later on when we had the internet, uh, I started chatting to people. Yes. Yeah, so you probably were even one of the ICQ users and I, I was ICQ was like this American chat program. I remember it was like a flower I, I, and I'm, high I'm, five was before Facebook and all of these things. More of an Emerson messenger guy, like okay, back yeah. then, a little bit later than. Yeah. Uh, what was your first mobile phone? My first mobile phone was a Bosch phone. Uh, it's funny because I just uh, spoke to my partner uh, of the European Blockchain Convention, Daniel Salmeron, and I, I told him about this question. And he was like, Bosch, did they do phones? And this, yes, actually, they did phones. <laughs> they did phones in the 90s. So that was in 1999. I had a cool Bosch phone with a big antenna, or what it was called in English, you know? And yeah, I was yeah. so happy. And I remember. Well, I was based in Copenhagen at that time. I remember a few months after getting the phone, uh, my uh, phone company um, introduced the service of, of SMS. So that was also huge. Mm -hmm. Not just could I call, I could like suddenly send SMS. That was, yeah, that was. That was they were quite expensive. They were quite expensive. Yeah, they were quite expensive, but it was like amazing yeah. that you could send SMS. I also remember that time with, with those phones that the first few seconds, I don't think, I don't know if you remember, but the first few seconds were free to call. So you could actually call yeah. people like, call me, you know, like your parents or something, call me. <laughs> and they would call you. And then I think after a while, you know, all the, you know, I don't know, Orange, all the big, uh, you know, yeah. telecommunication providers realized that they had to charge us from the first second not five seconds yeah. after the call. And then they started charging the seconds, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's funny because I, I actually briefly remember the Bosch phones because they look the same as the Siemens telephones and they still look the same as this, you know, you have the Siemens Gigaset house phones and that's how the mobile phones looked back then. It was like a massive... You know, I can't even imagine how this would look like. like I, I think of a Bosch phone as like a greenish black thing with an integrated <laughs> screwdriver or, or mechanical <laughs> saw, like you yeah. can use on construction Sites. Yeah, but, but, but Tim, I think I think I think we just ruined the chances of getting Bosch on the podcast. But anyways, uh, that's a different story. Um, okay, um, so we'll, we'll, we'll every all of our guests, what they have discovered is that everybody somehow found like um, a COVID lockdown gadget. So um, for me, it was the Hue smart bulbs at home, so I can dim the lights, and then um, I'm, I'm a cycling fanatic, so I have my beautiful bike hanging on the wall, and I can just put in different light shades yeah. uh, when I'm bored at home, but when I'm working from home in the afternoon, and the, it gets a little bit dark early. So what, what was your like 
COVID gadget, which he would say like, this was my discovery that saved my sanity during during lockdown. Well, I mean, yeah, I would say COVID gadget would probably be um, a speaker I have. I don't even remember the brand now because I'll like, you know, put the music on like really loud and then, I don't know, have my own little party in the living room basically. Uh, but when once once we were allowed to, because Spain was really strict in terms of the lockdown, we were not even allowed mm. to leave our houses. That was completely insane for a while, only for only to go to the supermarket or to go to the pharmacy. But when we were allowed to 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 go out again and do some running and stuff, um, I really enjoyed uh, my AirPods uh, and my uh, Apple Watch. I was like, wow, this is amazing, you know. <laughs> now I can bring, you know, the little party outside and then run at the same time. So I would say it's two gadgets, the AirPods and the AirWatch, uh, Apple Watch. Uh, but I really enjoyed uh, that combination. But, but are you happy with the Apple Watch for running things? Because I'm I'm a passionate Garmin user yeah. since um, since many years. Um, I was used to use the Apple Watch, but it just didn't give me the functionality and battery time. I mean, I, I, I before... Uh, I was actually running much more, so I did hmm. several, I don't know, six marathons and oh wow, a lot okay. of uh, half marathons. So before, maybe I would say mm, maybe it's a bit simple the Apple Watch, but for what for the use I'm, I have right now, it's fine. <laughs> Since I'm not. So, so what's your PB on a marathon? <laughs> oh no! It's oh, no come on! Hey, like, I don't My my period of marathons were like between. 2015 to 2017 and then since then i don't know you know so many things you got enough <laughs> no no actually no I, was, I just became lazy and busy i think and then you know but i'll start again <laughs> i'll start again okay. yeah. lazy and busy at the same time yeah, well, yeah. i never managed to do both at the same time i'm either lazy or busy no, but like, <laughs> in terms of work and then lazy in terms of sport, you know? Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, it takes a push to go out. It's exactly. like, yeah. like I train for Ironman and it's like oh, three, hours a day, three hours a day. Yeah, it's like dedicated morning cycling into work and then cycling one or two hours in oh. the evening and then running at lunch. So, and um, do you do that now or? Yeah, yes, yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> Kept me, kept my sanity. And Tim just always tells me, tells me off when I'm sitting there eating a bag of, of Haribos, and I'm like, "Well, mate, I have to burn. I'm burning two thousand calories in the evening. I, I can eat a bag of Haribos." A bag of Haribos, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, how how would you how would you say you define um, the term uptime? When you think of uptime, what's your definition of uptime? What does uptime mean for you, and what does it stand for in your in your opinion? Well. Uh, I guess, first of all, uh, when something is up and running, so opposite of downtime. Um, but actually, when we think of blockchain, um, the the uptime is currently, I mean, not currently, uptime basically um, happens all the time. So there is no downtime. That's one of the very, very interesting features uh, in blockchain, that there is no downtime. So, so blockchain is 100% uptime, basically. Oh wow! Okay, never yeah, because because I heard one thing, and this is this is coming me as I don't know anything about blockchain. I, it's a theory I heard is that you can't switch it off once it's once you initiate the process. And this is this is where my tricky question is going to come later on: who is allowed to? And there's a master key for a blockchain. 
who is allowed to have the master key to actually stop the chain because it's a process. So it's like a snowball system. Once the ball starts rolling, it rolls and that's it. And you mm. can't stop it. That's what she means with there's no downtime, right? Yeah, well, and, and well, also that since the the network, the, the blockchain network is distributed and decentralized, so it runs on computers, on nodes all around the world or where it is. So if we, if you have a node at home, Paul and you, Tim, another node, another computer at home, and I have another one at home, and then you have nodes, I don't know, like thousands of other places. If our three computers go down, it doesn't matter because the network, the blockchain network, is running on thousands of other computers. That's that's mm. the point because you know, um, like most most databases and most networks are. Uh, distributed obviously but centralized so if if if, if it's hacked you know <laughs> it affects it affects the whole network so um yeah so is that what blockchain is well A decentralized well, system of nodes yeah decentralized and distributed and 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 one yeah. of the very we're going too fast but first we need to know how she even got yeah but i just it. nailed the definition of blockchain mate yeah. Okay, but I knew without I, you even asking the question. No, I, I I first need to know. I, <laughs> this is where I. So you went to school and then you woke up one day and you said, "I'm gonna be an expert in blockchain." No, is that what happened, or how did you get in? What well, well, what's your path on into the dark side of blockchain or the? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say it's very random my path. I, I guess my whole life has been very random, uh, but that's also the fun part because. It's not very structured or very uh, planned. I guess I'm very open to opportunities. So basically, uh, I started uh, my career working in finance. So I moved to, to Barcelona to work in an investment fund, private equity fund there, called Black Toro Capital. Um, and we were investing in traditional assets, so nothing to do with technology. Actually, I would say at that time, I was anti Techie, well, not anti, but I didn't know anything about technology, basically. Um, and I was based in Barcelona, um, and most of my colleagues were male, as you can imagine, in finance. And I was like, hmm, would be cool to to run like a women's association and get to know more women, um, but not just women in finance, women from different industries. So I managed four and a half years ago to launch. Accelerate Network. So that's a women's association, um, open for everyone, but but mainly our members are women. And what I okay. did there was to bring together women from different industries. So I was like, okay, mm. and this way I can learn from people from, from other areas, then they can learn from me. And I guess this is the way you reach further ahead in your life, right? Uh, because if you're only, only in your own little bubble, I felt I was in a little financial bubble. Well, it was all about returns and returns and returns. And every time I met somebody from any other industry, I was like, oh, wow, that's exciting. What mm. you doing? It's like, oh, how do you do that? And what is that? So, um, uh, yeah, so I got a lot of women together from different industries. One of them was very techy, also a bit financial, financially, or, you know, techy finance type. And then she started to talk about blockchain in late 2016, early 2017. And I was like, oh, what is blockchain? <laughs> For some reason, <laughs> I don't know, somehow she managed to sell it. 
I mean, indirectly, I mean, I don't, I don't think she was trying to sell it because she was not selling anything, but it was like, wow, exciting. And then I started to read, uh, do my own research. And I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. This technology, it's absolutely insane. And that's how I got into blockchain, basically. Um, thank you chose blockchain over running marathons. It's quite a wise decision, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's 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 the early beginning of my yeah, like my blockchain, uh, I would say, career. But then after that, um, well, I guess I realized that blockchain was attracting a lot of um, young people, and I guess, um, well, people not not decision makers. Uh, I guess people with not that much capital, and and mm. and I knew that if you want a technology to to evolve to advance, you need decision makers, you need capital, time, uh, education, you know, to be invested. Um, so that's why, together with Daniel Samuel, we decided to to create the European Blockchain Convention. So so we we bring together all types of pro profile, like from individual startups mid-site companies and then large, large corporates listed on, you know, all, all, all European exchanges and even outside Europe. But, but it's very important, you know, to have, you know, have the technology backed by decision maker corporates. Uh, and, and, and then, yeah, you need time to study the technology time, uh, you know, to explain, you know, the use of it, but also you need money, you need money to be invested in the technology. So, uh, yeah, that's a bit. Here comes my first tricky question. Do you think blockchain is something new or was it there before? I mean, that's, was the wheel invented new? Because if you look at blockchain, the way I see blockchain is a, a working process. Let's say if you take it into a bank, right? Party A gives the terms, party B agrees, party A and B sign the document and the process gets executed, right? So, and then with blockchain, you just gave it somehow like, I would say like a fancy name. And then, uh, I mean, I've seen, I've been to a couple of blockchain conventions myself. Um, they give you really cool um, gifts. I don't know if Tim has ever seen the one, but I had like a golden necklace with like a, a little block on it and there was a blockchain, you know, it's like cool. Yeah. Uh, we should that it was a blockchain and not a hip hop convention. Yeah, yeah but it sounds like but but do you think do you think it's like the the hype? Like is it just because it's like due to crypto that there's the hype of blockchain? The blockchain is becoming so like um, centered into the, I mean, you. I mean, ten years ago, you didn't see blockchain in any of the news or whatever it is. And then bitcoins came up. People made this massive earnings on bitcoins, crypto, and then it came blockchain. And now you have blockchain wallets. I mean, you have even applications where you can go now and pay with your bitcoins uh, for chewing gum in the supermarket. Um, so, yeah. how do you see? Like, what do you see as the origin of blockchain? Yeah. Okay. So. I think there was several questions or comments there from your side. If it's <laughs> if it's just hype, right? Um, well, I mean, first of all, blockchain was born more or less eleven years ago uh, when when the Bitcoin white paper was published, um, and I mean, Bitcoin blockchain are using different you know uh, technologies so that part is obviously not new 
But what was new was combining these technologies and creating this new technology by combining other technologies. So, so I mean, yes, it is, it is something new. It, 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 it has 11 years behind, behind itself. How do you say? It's 11 years old now, but it's still new. So, mm. um, hype. Yes, <laughs> there is a lot of hype. And, and if we think of 2017, that was the year, I would say, of Bitcoin. Even though, even though, as we just said now, that Bitcoin is 11 years old. But 2017 was the year of Bitcoin because Bitcoin reached a price of 20,000 US dollars per Bitcoin in December 2017. Mm. That was quite insane because in early 2017, Bitcoin, I think the price was, I don't remember right now if it was 100 or 200 dollars. I mean, it was 170 because I had a friend, because I lived in Dubai for 23 years and I had a couple of friends. They made, well, they, let's say like this, they're all not working anymore. So, you know, so obviously, you know, this attracted a lot of media, yeah. a lot of media and, and a lot of, uh, I guess, a lot of negative uh, articles about this bubble and so on. But it attracted a lot of media and it attracted a lot of people uh, that started to investing in Bitcoin, obviously, because they're like, whoa, <laughs> this is the price is increasing super fast. So that was the, yeah, so, so 2017 was the year of Bitcoin. Then in 2018, uh, we had the year of ICOs, initial coin offerings. That was also, that also had a lot of, uh, I would say, media coverage because I mean, the idea behind ICOs were quite, I would say, beautiful. I mean, myself being uh, an investor, um, financial analyst in a private equity fund, beautiful in the sense that you could somehow, the idea was that you could distribute new wealth um, in a better way. So, so like if you think of like, like uh, private equity funds and, and, and professional investment funds, the only type of institutions that can invest in these funds are pension funds are institutional investors basically so you know normal people retail investors don't get access to these kind of assets right um and then the idea was then with icos that that you right paul you tim and myself could invest in 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 private companies you know but without being an institutional investor but like just by being ourselves but obviously you know <laughs> investing in a PowerPoint, you know, and the whole hype about, you know, woo, Bitcoin and this and that, uh, that again, you know, a lot of money was uh, attracted. And I think, I don't know, in six months, I don't know how many buildings were invested in all these ICOs. And I guess of, of all these projects, very, very few are still alive. So, mm. so that was the year of ICOs. And then in 2019 just, just one 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 thing what an ico is an initial coin offering isn't it so yeah um it is a beautiful way as you say to distribute wealth and to invest in 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 more perhaps democratic ways yeah as there yeah. is no brokerage and no big institutions behind it but how is it different from it is that the difference to a traditional stock um 
I mean, I mean, Finance uh, yeah, but I think the classic example is Dr. Uh, Rucha Ignatova, no? the crypto queen um, who started an ICO as well and then just vanished. Yeah. Um, ah, that she that, took the money and went, went yeah, off. She's, she's, that's, that's the thing, right? <laughs> how is it? How, how, yeah, is there accountability in it as well? So no. please elaborate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to make it clear that, that the, the idea behind was beautiful. The result mm. was not beautiful because most of all these projects were scams or they, they never... It was uncharted territory, basically. I mean, yeah. it was the Wild West. It was the Wild West of... Yeah, exactly. So the idea was, yeah, because right now, you know, as a, as a retail, as a small investor or like as, as who we are, you can access stocks on, the, on, on capital markets. You know, you can, I don't know, you can buy a, a stock from Apple or from Amazon, stuff like that. So like big public companies but if you want to get access to interesting private companies that's all that's only something in, um you know professional funds private equity funds venture capital funds can access right so and then this wealth that these funds can create are kept to institutional investors right so that so the idea was beautiful that 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 we could you know <laughs> get get access to this new wealth if we created it but yeah, as you said, a lot of projects um, were born, you know, based on a PowerPoint, based on a woo crazy idea, and <laughs> and then nothing happened after afterwards. And I guess that's also when you realize that, you know, you know, private equity funds, uh, venture capital funds, they 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 spend a lot of money on due diligence, right? On technical due diligence, on financial due diligence, all type of due diligence to make sure that these companies they invest invest in you know, are doing what they're saying they're doing, right? And, and you know, you know, when you are just, you know, who we are, we don't, you know, have access to, to, to these due diligence uh, companies, you know, we can't pay for it to make a due diligence yeah. on these ICOs, you know what I mean? So there was no accountability. And, and yeah, the whole hype just, you know, again, uh, people were like so excited, so they invested and then without, you know, checking, you know, checking and doing maybe their own due diligence on the projects or at least very um, limited due diligence. But sometimes I also think that this whole ICO rush, I mean, besides I would say more normal people maybe as, as the three of us that could have invested in a project, you also had a lot of like, I would say, um, gamblers, people basically, I guess, addicted to gambling that went into these kind of projects, right? Um, so yeah, the ICOs are dead, are dead, and that was the, the year of 2018. But the idea was beautiful behind. So they're really dead. You're saying there is no more ICOs happening anywhere? There is very few ICOs, but 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 mm. but it makes no sense. I mean, I mean, you know, as an investor, in most cases, you were investing in in tokens with no rights, right? With no rights. You know, when you buy yeah. a, a, a a stock in Apple, you have some rights, right? But yeah, right. rights, so, yeah. like you know, you have no protection. <laughs> it's like it makes no sense. So it's it's even the same thing with with bitcoins. If you look at it, it's like it's a big, massive vacuum, but, which is backed by nothing. No, it's backed by nothing. So you have some server farms. That's where data centers come into play. Uh, That's where yeah, the uptime punks for all the data center people out there. Um, so yeah, so basically, Bitcoin is farmed and 
comes back to that it's also not one of the probably most um, environmental friendly but currencies see, out there. But see, but see, is, is there are people who say it doesn't matter if it's backed or not. That it's just the the the, the yeah, but it's a gamble. That's the just... question is whether people do trust it or not. Yeah. And the the thing is, and here is the the the. The thing with the difference, the only difference to uh, fiat money, like traditional money, like um, the euro and whatever, is that it's just not backed by a state authority or a central central bank. But if nevertheless people trust it, what's what is then the difference? Yeah, but I, I because you've seen you've seen uh, big inflations of fiat money anyhow somewhere. So yeah, but I think the biggest problem with Bitcoin is, and this is where I think all this. Regular regulations come from which are trying governments are trying to put regulations into Bitcoin now, and the main reason behind it is not that, only into Bitcoin, but we talk about that later. Yeah, yeah but but, but, but I think one of the main reasons behind it is that a lot of um, well, maybe not the best example, for example, a lot of organized crime can just send money between countries in terms of just putting it in a virtual wallet, and the guy jumps on the plane with a hundred million dollars and lands somewhere else and just gives it the person uh, the telephone. Yeah, that's that's the account, account accountability bit. But yeah. um, uh, well, anyhow, Victoria, um, well, do we can we is, are we now at the point where we can say okay, let's define blockchain before we move on? Oh, yeah, yeah, let's let's put it, let's nail a definition down and and, and then move on. Okay, but what do you say? One thing Abby, that you mentioned, <laughs> Bitcoin and and the value of Bitcoin. Well, currently, I think the last time I looked at the price of Bitcoin today was. Uh, 13,400 US dollar per Bitcoin. And I must say that Bitcoin is very different from the ICOs. I mean, it's nothing to, it has nothing to do. And to be honest, I, I, I respect a lot Bitcoin. And I actually, uh, I agree that uh, obviously by having so many people, um, companies, even funds now, uh, believing in Bitcoin, that gives it a, a value. Besides whatever you can do with Bitcoin, like uh, transferring money or, or, or buying stuff, uh, whatever you can do with it. Um, well, I think it's a very, very interesting uh, in, invention. That, that's that word in, in, word in English, you know, uh, invention. Mm. Uh, and I think it has a value and I think its value will be even bigger in the future. So... Nothing to do with ICOs, Bitcoin. That's just one point I wanted to to, to make clear. Okay. <laughs> so we've heard Bitcoin and blockchain, but they're different. So uh, what is blockchain? What is blockchain? Let's let's nail the definition down because um, yeah. So because we need a working definition here. <laughs> so well, I, I guess there is hundreds of definitions of, of what blockchain is, and I guess every day you have new definitions. But basically. It's, as we mentioned before, it's a distributed and decentralized database. So it's like, it's like a lock of transactions. It's like a lock of, of historical moments. It, you could have like, it's like an Excel of, of things. You have an Excel with, with uh, each cell representing something that happened. So that's basically what it is. But then um, what's interesting about blockchain, one of the features is that, uh, well, at least, Bitcoin blockchain, there is no downtime, right? <laughs> there is only up time because it cannot it cannot be down. But also this technology is very, very interesting because it's a way that you can create trust between parties where there is no trust. 
So, so currently you have, you know, big, big tech companies as um, Facebook and Amazon and so on. They are 100% centralized, right? All the data, everything is owned by them. Um, but with blockchain, you can, you can suddenly create between a lot of different parties, companies in the same sector, trust. And this way you can, you can, I mean, you can transfer all type of information or share all type of information uh, without having the need to trust one another. And also by not having one party owning all the data, right? So you can suddenly right. uh, collaborate with your competitors, right? So that's mm -hmm. quite interesting and very, very different from what we have used. What we're used yeah. So would, would you say that trust, transparency, collaboration, are inherent to that system? Would you go that far? So, or is I mean, I mean, uh, I would say that thanks to blockchain, we will see in the future a lot of uh, collaborations, and I guess also business models that were not that were not possible before. So, I mean, right now, I mean, any service today. Uh, there is a centralized party behind that controlling all the data. Um, but this also, I guess, uh, removes some opportunities, right? Because as I said before, not, not everybody in, is, is interested in maybe collaborating with Amazon because they own all the data. Well, I guess nowadays we, we're all forced and, and all the companies who want to sell online need to use Amazon. But but it's a way to kind of, I guess, decentralize uh, a lot of business um, cases in the future. So you think it's more like a rebel movement against the big... Um, it can be, I think. No, no, it can be. It can be break the chain, break the system, follow the blockchain. Um, yeah, actually, I, I mean... I mean, I mean, I'm a big fan, I guess, also uh, of Amazon. I use it uh, quite often. And I'm even now considering buying some stocks. Way that was quite late. Maybe I should have done that five years ago. But okay. <laughs> uh, but but sometimes I think that that blockchain could potentially be the technology that can remove the power away from these huge tech companies. Because yeah, the European Union is trying to do a lot of stuff, right? You know, to you know to protect our you know, all our data. Yeah, yeah, you know, to have much more privacy and protect our data as citizens or as companies. But I'm not sure if 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 they they can do it, you know. I mean maybe we need a technology as blockchain. But it's still too it's very early. We are on day one still. So we'll see, I guess, in ten years. Okay. Um so, so so what would you say is like let's say if we look in well, I would well, I would see blockchain on a daily use would let's say be trading, right? Trading in terms of commodities. So, what is then the major difference between opening an LC with a bank where you're protected, and if the goods are not delivered, your money basically doesn't leave your account, and blockchain? Isn't that the same system then, just the, hyped the, up with a fancy name? The difference between you mean having some bitcoins on on Bitcoin blockchain and having euros on your account in a bank right is that is that what you mean yeah yeah, yeah. yes yeah well uh yeah that's very different because uh when it comes to bitcoin um if you don't have 
your bitcoins on on an exchange um you need to hold your own keys so that means you have a private key which would be like i guess like your you could say like your pin to your credit card right you have your own private key and if you lose that one you lose your bitcoins so yeah that's very different and that's also one of the issues i mean if when you talk about uh, these cryptos um that i mean a lot of companies are now trying to to introduce to the market different types of custodians and even try maybe to work with traditional commercial banks to offer this service because yeah because it it, it is difficult i mean to to keep your own keys and 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 even if you have your bitcoins on an exchange these these exchanges are getting hacked all the time because they are centralized the, the exchanges they are centralized so so there's a lot of risk and yeah, and I guess it would be very useful if if if, if commercial banks in the future uh, would offer uh, custodian services um, to the customers. I know I know some small banks in Europe, like in Liechtenstein, are offering this to their customers. But you know, it's Liechtenstein. How many people live in Liechtenstein, right? So uh, <laughs> most of us don't get access to it. But I guess I mean now we've been talking a lot about like the first use case of blockchain which is like digital money it's bitcoin right but there is much more i mean there is so many more use cases so many other industries uh, now working with blockchain and you have well, what's the most common one where you would be like this is something everybody is every day in touch with and they don't even know it's blockchain technology well i would say uh, it's what we just mentioned it's it's when we talk about exchanges it's when you do trading or if you use Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of these um, big cryptos to buy something. So PayPal just announced, I think it was a week ago, that now you can pay with Bitcoin, with Litecoin, with Ethereum, with a few coins, like the most important ones. You can buy, uh, you can pay with it. And, and I guess that's another use case. But, but, but like the rest of the use case is very important in health, in finance, in, in, in a lot of other industries. Uh, we won't obviously, as you said, we won't be able to see see the, the 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 layer of blockchain, but that will be in the future. I mean, it's still not scalable. Some in some cases, yeah, the the technology is in production, but it's not scalable yet. It's still very early. So okay, yeah. Can you? Sorry, yeah. can you talk about some of the other use cases that are like emerging or that you, um, because you're organizing the European Blockchain Convention and I figure there must be some people with some really interesting use cases. What impressed you most, even if it's not scaled yet? What's the coolest one? What's the coolest one? Yeah. What's the coolest one? Well, I'm difficult <laughs> to say what's the coolest one. But I mean, uh, when we think of the financial industry, I think, there is a lot of very interesting use cases there. Um, so uh, Bank Santander, which is one of the largest banks in, in the world, actually, they are mainly in Spain, Latam, also in the UK, in some European countries. Um, also the largest bank in terms of like activity uh, working on blockchain. So, so last year they, they um, issued a bond on blockchain on mm -hmm. ethereum blockchain and that was very exciting because uh, 
you know, with with the blockchain, you can have programmable, pro programmable money. Meaning, so this was um, was it was a I think they issued ten million or twenty million, uh, um, yeah, on Ethereum. Um, Blockchain. An interesting thing was that I don't remember right now, but it had had like a quarterly interest of I don't know, let's say say one percent. And mm -hmm. you know, this can be done all automatically because you know you can program that with smart contracts in in blockchain. So you know, a lot of processes in the financial world, you know, you can automate that, and that happens just automatically uh, because it's we talk about programmable programmable money. So I think that's very exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, but then also, I mean, if you think of health, there is a lot of very, very uh, interesting use cases. Um, and especially uh, one very interesting use case is like health data. You know, every day, I mean, we are all patients, everybody. I mean, we're all patients, right? I don't like that idea, to be honest, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sooner or later, I mean, you know, you have a headache and you, you know, you really need to go to the doctor, whatever, then you're patient that day, right? even if it's yeah. for, for a few days, right? Um, so we are creating health data every day. I mean, even when we walk around, right, with our mobile or or um, or Paul, Paul is preparing for his uh, Ironman, right? <laughs> and, and sharing, you know, no, and, and, and saving all your data, right? For, from, from your race or whatever. So uh, all this data right now um, is, you know, kept by, you know, the provider of the app or whoever has, or the phone, right? But but the interesting thing you could, you, you would be able to do with blockchain is basically to share that data with, it could be like in clinical trials, it could be, you know, in any, well, or even just for an app, for a sports app, you could share this data and get paid for it or, or, or get yeah. something for, for, for your data you're sharing, right? And, and that's actually one of the very interesting uh, you know, use cases in, in, in health that you will be able to control your data, I mean, health data, um, and share it with whoever you want to and get paid for it um, yeah. whenever you want to. Because right now, uh, I guess there is very few apps right now that pays you a little bit for sharing your movements. I've seen a few, but not many. Right. That's interesting that you say uh, that I think, um, so the way it will work is basically blockchain will then, kind of help to track what kind of data you have provided and automatically pay or um, uh, trigger payment for, for you I mean, or the, the, what, how, how exactly will block, blockchain come into the into the game yeah so I mean we need we need a, la a layer before before actually being able to share our health data but we need a layer of identity um, and and well, actually, the European Commission is right now working on um, the European blockchain services infrastructure, where one of the first use cases they're working on is creating a digital identity based on blockchain for the ideas for all European citizens and companies to have one. And then it's like you would on your phone, uh, on your yeah, on your phone, you will have you would have a digital um, wallet, and right. here. You could have, I mean, plenty of things. You could have your driver license. You could have your degree. Uh, you could have anything that's related to your identity. And anything related to your identity is also your health data. And then you would have it on your wallet. 
you control the data and whenever you know it could be like i don't know novartis would be like oh i would like to to get access to people's uh, running habits in london right and then you, you we would get like a minute notification and i would say yes i accept to share my running data and you and mm. then automatically i would get paid every time i would share the data so but right. before being able to do that we need a digital identity because you know you need to link you know, mm. Mm. I mean, Sounds like an attractive business no, I, model. I, I actually, um, there's um, two health insurances I know about in the UK. So basically, they offer the model. If you get, if you sign up with them, you get an Apple Watch and you get a discount on your health insurance if you wear the watch and do a certain amount of steps every day. That's how they can yeah. monitor that you live a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. If you don't do that amount of steps within three months' time, you get a notice from them and then uh, your premium goes up automatically. So so it's all about incentivizing people to yeah, basically, basically commercialize yeah. their data. Critically asked, what, what's that actually doing to us as, as, as humans? Because it, it I mean... We're not, we wouldn't be pure consumers of services anymore. We still have like, it would, in some ways, I, I agree, empower us because we become the sovereigns of our data. We own it. We can even commercialize it if we want to. Mm -hmm. But if I choose not to do it, I, I miss it. I'm missing, I'm missing out on something. So it's almost like, it's your decision to do it. But if you don't do it, well, you don't get the money like everybody else. So kind of incentivizing kind of st still forcing it's like saying um well we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we have a public transport and you can have your tickets only on a on a smartphone no more paper tickets mm. well all the old people who don't have a smartphone who don't they'll need to buy one and in appearance everything is still um uh, not uh, mandatory yeah, but um, but it's 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 kind of not do you know what do you know what where i'm going so what are your thoughts on that well i mean yeah it's interesting what you're saying but like imagine that you wouldn't like to share your health data or sports data um then i guess it would be like now i mean right now you are sharing it but nobody's paying you for it so yeah you wouldn't share it and you wouldn't get paid for it but it's like now you don't get paid for 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 sharing your data right so but yeah you're right that i guess if most people are getting paid for their health data you would like to also get paid right um mm. but at least i guess you decide if you want to share that data mm. right and 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 right now it's impossible for us to 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 decide if we share it. we just do it <laughs> on all type of applications on our phones yeah. we do it all the time so um and well i also as you said paul i i know i mean the, the insurance companies are slowly also doing that now in spain that they if you share your your movement and then you prove that i don't know you walk i don't know like four kilometers every day your premium is lower and if you don't then you pay more but also i guess it's a way for them to make sure that you go less to the doctor because the more sports you do the probability is lower of you going to the doctor besides getting your data that they can sell afterwards to pharmaceuticals and so on, right? Well, but, but no, wait, but here gets funny. The people who would use that service just to get less of a premium are the people that would probably say, oh, I'm not going to get the COVID app because the COVID app is me giving away my privacy. Do you guys have a COVID? We didn't ask that question, actually. Yeah. Good one. Do you have a COVID app in Spain? Uh, yes, there are uh, some apps, but 
but not backed by by the government so you know they they don't have any impact at all but i guess this is also very hmm. difficult in europe right because you know we've had this movement movement from the european commission like supporting much more our citizens um and and, and our data uh and then you know it goes against right you know those values the code hmm. at, at, right um so it's, it's a bit complicated so we have some but they're not backed by the government yeah. Oh, okay. So, what's the government's position? Uh, we leave it to the uh, private actors to provide those apps, but we don't want to have a publicly backed one because we fear of data protection issues. Yeah. Well, I guess. Or what, what's yeah, the position? I, I mean, the whole data protection issue is is one that that they value. Um, but but actually, Spain is uh, currently the worst country to be in in terms of COVID uh, so it's it's mm. it's a very difficult situation and we are slowly go, getting closer closer to to a, a lockdown again um but definitely uh, no they haven't been very uh, pro these apps um because yeah since they okay. are not, you know the providers of these apps they don't have the control of the data as well and so on and and the citizens are sharing data private data right um so yeah, but I guess if we had if we had um, if we had blockchain, it would be much more easier to have these kind of apps because you would be able to share data with uh, whoever you needed to in terms of your movements uh, and and COVID and so on without needing to give your identity, but just to provide the information about where have you been, who around you have had COVID and so on, and, mm -hmm. and still protecting your identity. Right, because blockchain would actually be a another shield. It's like PayPal. Yeah, yeah. People would actually, wouldn't see who you actually are. Would actually grant for your identity, saying, "I have verified that this data is really coming from Tim because he has his digital identity wallet on his phone. It's all true." Yeah. But but you Google or you Facebook or you Amazon or insurance company, you don't really know want need to know who it is because I've verified the identity already. Is that is that how it works? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so I mean. A simple example is like, okay, imagine you go to a club. I mean, I guess nobody goes to a club now because they almost don't exist. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> You'd be surprised, yeah. But I, guess I just heard about a story in Glasgow where the police had to come because uh, there was like an Edinburgh clan going to Glasgow. And yeah, anyways. Go that's, on. Like more, that's underground parties. Nobody asked for ID there, right? Yeah, so talking about like a club where they would usually ask for ID, you know. Uh, here, so you would show your driver license or passport or whatever ID, mm. and it says a lot about you, right? It says how old you are, it, it gives your full name, your your a lot of identity details that that don't need to be shared with the club. The only thing you need to prove is basically that you are over eighteen or whatever you need to be, right? That's what's mm -hmm. important. And that's a bit. That's that's one of the features that that blockchain allows. That you only show whatever that needs to be showed, but you don't need to share all the date, uh, details of your identity to get into a club. Okay. Just make sure that you are eighteen, and that's it. Yeah. See, I, I kind of like the idea, and um, I'm sure there's lots of potential, and I'm sure that if all the actors in the game and 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 people who participate in the in the in the discussion about it are smart enough then we we're going to have oh, an yeah. outcome that corresponds to the to this ideal of a 
digital sovereign Europe where everybody's data is protected and everybody is empowered and nobody is left behind and everybody actually, and that's the most important thing to me at least, understand what he or she is doing with the data and, and, and kind of understands to an extent what the application is doing, what the blockchain is actually doing, even if, if he or she uh, is, is not a, a technical person by background, like me, um, for example, I'm not a technical person by background. We learned last week or two weeks ago that we work on technology, but not in technology, which is a good place to be in. Um, I don't know if you, you would say the same about you, but yeah, thanks very much for these insights. Paul, I let you dig deeper <laughs> if you need to. <laughs> um, no, it's really, it's, it's really interesting. Um, so, I mean, that's, of course, um, for the European Blockchain Convention. So when you guys have to, I think you just had one in September, right? Uh, was probably one of your first virtual ones. Exactly. Um, uh, how, how did that go for you? Virtual event? Uh... Well, actually, uh, it actually went very well. We were a bit like, how, how do you do that? I mean, how do you do something virtual when it's usually physical, right? Um, but it actually went very well. We had no technical issues. We managed to have... Um, the same amount of people in this edition as the three previous ones. So we had an okay. 1,500 people doing the conference. Right, right. So yeah. that was very cool. Also, um, I think another interesting aspect is that we usually have like really high level speakers, professionals coming either to Copenhagen or Barcelona where we celebrate the, the European Blockchain Convention. But I mean, not 100% not of the people you invite can always make it, right? In this case, I guess, yeah, I guess it was 100% or very close to all the speakers we wanted to have on board were able to, to participate. So that was really cool. And also an interesting aspect is that if you if you manage to use uh, probably the networking tools, you can actually be very efficient because when you go to a physical event or when we used to go to physical events, um, you network with a lot of people, right? And sometimes maybe you end up speaking to some people that are not really what you're looking for, right? But still, you need to be polite. You need to, you know, continue <laughs> before going to the next one, right? Uh, when it's online, you know, you can scroll down as you would do in LinkedIn and go exactly to the ones you need to speak to, right? So this way, it's a or you can just block. <laughs> you can just block people. Well, yeah, or you just reach out to the ones you you really need to speak to. Uh, so, so that's that's more efficient that way, right? Uh, but I guess sometimes it's also very powerful to speak to somebody you didn't expect to speak to and then learn something new, right? right. Uh, that 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 part is a bit more difficult in a virtual. That's why we started the podcast. Exactly, that's the reason. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, so do you think virtual events are the future? Uh, From event that, organizer to event organizer. From event organizer to event organizer. Yeah, Let's yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think it's the future? I mean, for 2021, for sure. I mean, absolutely. Okay. And... And I guess since we will get more and more used to it, um, in the future, I guess you will be attending both physical and online events because... So hybrid, that's well, the answer then, I guess. Well, also hybrid, but I mean like, so you have an event maybe in Europe and you're based in, I don't know, South Africa. Um, you know, yeah, you could travel, but maybe, you know, in terms of, you know, time and so on, it doesn't work. So at least if it's online or, or hybrid, yeah, you can attend, right? And and I guess this way we will get more globalized, even more than we are. Mm. So yeah, uh, yeah, it is the future, and also hybrid yeah. events, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Wow. Um, it was amazing. It was, it, we're, we're up with the time, I guess. Um, 
I would say the last word is with the lovely guest. Um, I would say, well, Tim, maybe you have some last things to say, and then myself, and then we leave it with Victoria, and she can give us a yeah, closing. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad we nailed down a definition of what blockchain is. Um, looked at some use cases. Uh, as always, as, as, as almost always, we, we always get into this data discussion and, and data rights, um, but I think it's a good thing. Um, well. Oh, one is there. Um, do you know about the? Uh, this is something I'm curious about. Do you know about the project Gaia X? Project Gaia. Have you heard X? Gaia X, the European um, basically framework for data cloud and data centers in um, Europe. Maybe, maybe that's something we could do at another time, um, because <laughs> this is something. No, I would say no, but. Uh... That's that's another episode. That's another episode, definitely. Yeah, just uh, yeah, as you said, Europe, Victoria. Um, your your outlook for Europe, uh, digital Europe, um, blockchain in Europe, for the next few years. Do you have any hopes or expectations for Europe, or is it just limited to Spain? No, um, I mean. Yeah, I mean, so our focus, at least with the European Blockchain Convention, is, is mainly on Europe, um, even though yeah. I'm based in Spain and I know the community very well and it's also very impressive, the community in Spain. But so yeah. my my hopes and, and, and vision, I would say, I think that in a few years, I don't know if we can manage it in 24 months, two years, but at least in three, four years, I think we will have a digital identity on blockchain, all Europeans and all companies. And that's going to be very exciting. Very, 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 very exciting. So yeah, wow. very positive about that. I mean, I mean, obviously, obviously we're going to have a digital identity, all Europeans. And if you have it on blockchain, it's just, I mean, it's just going to smoothen everything much more. It's going to make everything much easier. So what about digital Euro? I mean, or the Euro on the blockchain. Europe, so, so digital Europe is a lot of things. I mean, I guess yeah. One aspect is having an identity. Another aspect is having a digital euro. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, in the European Union, you know, you have the, the four freedoms, right? It's freedom of movement of people, services. Uh, I don't remember now the four freedoms, but I mean, uh, we are on our way. And having a digital identity will be one of them. Having digital money also will be another one, right? Uh, and and this is not going to stop. I, I'm I'm very positive. With the work of the European Commission in, in this area when it comes to blockchain as well. Yeah. But yeah, that's what for Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry for British listeners. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. You were <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I would say thank you very much. It was really lovely to have you on the podcast. And um, yeah. Um it's the last the last the last words are with you. Well, thank you. I mean, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Tim. It's been it's been fun, and yeah, I think we could we could continue uh, thinking about the future and talking about the potential of blockchain because definitely the potential of blockchain is is huge. It's still it's still very early, but if you're part of it now, you're also part of um, how do you say part of part of the future because I mean the the ones now I mean the the group of people now we are in the blockchain space are also the ones defining the future. So the sooner you get into blockchain, the better. And just the other day, um, uh, I shared an article on LinkedIn, um, which was talking about a new report from PwC, 
that stated that um, that blockchain in the next, I think, 10 years will bring a value of 1.7 trillion to the economy. 1.7 trillion. That's a lot of money. That's uh, basically more or less uh, the market cap of Amazon. And Amazon is huge. <laughs> so Do we have trillionaires yet? No, we have billionaires, but we don't have trillionaires yet. Uh, not yet. No, no, no. We have billionaires yet. Jeff Bezos is on his way. But he's still Yeah. All right. Perfect. Oh, yeah. Then... Thank you. Thank you a lot. <laughs> and, and get it. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. Wow. I mean, this was um, quite interesting. So we spoke about how mobsters take over the world with bitcoins no i'm joking otherwise they're going to send a lawyer back to our podcast again <laughs> um i i think it was really fascinating because it's i mean everybody heard some conspiracy theories about blockchain what blockchain is all about um and you insisted tim and at the end you got the definition that you wanted um which is really great because i don't even uh, i don't even re remember it now but um i'm gonna i'm gonna it's really great when people can define, and also I like the way how she defined uptime. Uh, it's always great to speak to somebody that's, um, well, of course, she ran six marathons, and um, she gave up marathon running for um, blockchain. Um, what a sacrifice. Imagine I would give up Ironmans for data centers. Um, for I don't know, Paul, your choice. I, I don't have nothing to <laughs> give up for uh, anything, uh, <laughs> really, but... Yeah, um, no, it was a great podcast, a, a really great experience. Uh, again, learned learned many things. Um, didn't agree with everything, but I don't necessarily need to. Um, She's a very interesting guest. Um, we're going to hopefully be doing a couple of more projects in the future together because she also runs this leadership circle on women in tech and yeah. leadership in general. Yeah. Um, if you want to find out more about what Victoria does, I think you can find on LinkedIn, Victoria Gago. And if you want to look at that convention she does, it's called the European Blockchain Conference. They run in Copenhagen and they run in Barcelona. Barcelona. You just said that. I did in the intro, but that's the outro, mate. Yeah, the outro is recorded four days later. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, anyways... Um, so yeah, it was really great having her here. And um, is there any updates from our end? Oh yeah, um, we have the Big Data AI World Summit online yes. in when it, about ten days. Yeah. yeah, from now. But when you release the podcast, any any key panels, speakers, you'll be like people. So you need to come and check it out. Paul, the dates are eleventh and twelfth November. So whatever days you're listening this at, um, the dates are eleventh and twelfth November. So it may be tomorrow for you, or it may be in five days. Or maybe you missed it already. Well, maybe you missed it, so shame on you. But I uh, know because then you can still go on and look it up because we yes, have it in the library. Exactly. Yeah, you can still look it up, but still shame. Highlight on you. speakers, panels. Highlight speakers. Well, uh, I one particular panel I'm particularly proud of is the scaling ai into real business panel which uh, reunites some of the greatest company ever seen on the earth um that sounded ironic i didn't want it to sound ironic actually no it's uh, dell technologies it's deutsche telekom it's um rtl medium group it is msd pharmacologic 
pharmaceutical company and um, the Echo Industry Association. So some really heavyweight, it's like the Klitschko brothers are meeting each other and fighting one another. On yes, the yes. And I'm just, um, did I forget anyone? So MSD, Dell, Deutsche Telekom, RTL, that's for, yeah, no, that's actually. So is it on, on the 11th or on the 12th? This one is on the 11th and um, it's in the keynote track and you can't really miss it. It will be in the early afternoon. Uh, tune in. It's a cross-industrial gathering of high of high-ranked decision makers who will share how they managed to scale AI in their organization. And some other panels coming up about uh, data literacy, about data strategy, together with Oracle and the Business Application Research Center, which is our co-events organizer. And yeah, and to put it in a nutshell, tickets are really limited because... Um, they're, but they're also really, really cheap because they're free. Yeah, so um, because of bandwidth and everything, so tickets are really limited. Um, so if registers really first come, first serve. So if you're not registered, then... Um, How many places are left? I think none. But anyways, just if you need a space... You know, you can come to us, the punks. We will sort you out. Um, anyways, um, you're going to find in the description um, the link you can follow to find the conference. And then you can also, there's going to be a link for Victoria's European Blockchain Conference. And yeah, um, thank you very much. And I hope you subscribe, uh, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Music, and wherever the world we are in now as well. And a big hello to our listeners in Moscow. Um, in Moscow? Yeah, we have 19 subscribers in Moscow. So. Yes. Uh, Nastrovia. <laughs> yes, shout out to Moscow. Um, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, thank you very much. Take care. Bye. Oh, by the way, what? Moscow, Moscow. Uh, I've just learned that I've my 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 uh, private security provider is is a, is a Moscovian um, yeah, security. You have private firm. security. No, 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 not 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 like what? not like bodyguards. I mean, for my computer, like um, oh, okay. cyber security. Oh, I was thinking that Kas Kaspersky, Kaspersky. I don't know. So, if if someone from Kaspersky is listening, you need to come on the podcast and um, yeah, reach out to us. So you can find Tim uh, Tim Shono on LinkedIn, and I'm Paul Hammer, and yeah, and you can find us on the Uptown Punks official as well. So take care. Thank you. Bye. Cheers, bye.